The Week in Doubt, episode 277. Hey everyone, I'm Phil Albertelli, the host of The Week in Doubt, a podcast for atheists, agnostics, and whoever. Before we start, I'd like to thank David Carter for liking The Week in Doubt Facebook page. We're now up to 181 likes. We did it. Thanks, everyone. Uh, I'd also like to thank Dean Paxton and Patrick Walsh for becoming Patreon supporters. Thanks, guys. It's much appreciated. I'm always very thankful and very humbled when someone decides to become a Patreon supporter or support the show financially or other ways say, via PayPal, through Podbean or whatever. And I never know quite what to say, and uh, I always feel like I'm not saying enough. But but thank you, uh, it means a lot. And speaking of Patreon, I recorded some more bonus content, but I still have to go back in and perform the laborious task of editing everything. Uh, it was meant to be a quick review of The Last Jedi, and it ended up being like an hour and a half long exploration of my thoughts on Star Wars in general. So if you're a Patreon supporter or thinking about becoming a Patreon supporter, and that sounds like something that might interest you, hopefully I'll have that finished and up on Patreon by the end of next week. And like I said, it still has to be edited. I haven't even listened back to it yet. And uh, I believe I was on six capsules of Kratom at the time I recorded it. So uh, should be interesting. Uh, but anyway, onward. Okay, so before we dig into the news stories, I thought it might be fun to go over a little bit of listener feedback. And I'm always amused by the comments people leave under my, uh, my Krampus documentary on YouTube. And it's funny, I don't know if they're coming from maybe tweens or young teenagers or what, but a lot of them are kind of, you know, good-natured, but still they're letting me know how disturbed they were by the documentary. Like, they, they actually found it scary or traumatizing, which seems so weird to me, uh, but also somewhat amusing, because... My fear, if anything, was that people might find it boring or lame or whatever. Because uh, I think there might be a little bit of background music, but for the most part, it's just me reading this brief scripted documentary I wrote about a mythical holiday figure. I guess maybe I could see if you're someone who's superstitious, really afraid of things that go bump in the night... Uh, maybe, you know, still really young and impressionable or easily scared, how the idea of Krampus, this kind of demonic-looking, satyr-esque <laughs> figure, might uh, disturb you, I guess. But still, I'm like, really? But maybe I should be more understanding, because I know when I was a little kid, uh, I was kind of sensitive and I was easily scared. And so I got another one in that vein, and it's from... Uh, Cookie Jar 29, I think. <laughs> and they say, well, thanks for the nightmares, bub. <laughs> uh, maybe they're being facetious, I don't know, but uh, still funny either way. Then another YouTuber left a couple of comments on the same video. And uh, I have to say they're scary for all the wrong reasons. Um, their YouTube handle is Soldier of America 777, but I'm not sure if they're actually American because at least their second comment is composed of rather broken English. Um, 
who knows, maybe they're drunk off their ass, I don't know. But but their first comment is, the new cities of Sodom and Gomorrah in Germany. So if this isn't a troll, we uh, seem to have some kind of Christian fundamentalists on our hands. And there was a hint of that in the name, you know, it ends with 777. Soldier of America 777. Any uh, militia groups missing a member? So, uh, so anyway, yeah, Sodom and Gomorrah in Germany, uh, or the new cities of Sodom and Gomorrah in Germany. So obviously he doesn't approve of Krampus to demonic pagan or whatever I take it. But what does he mean by new? The figure of Krampus is centuries old. And it goes back far enough that there's good reason to believe that the figure may have pagan pre-Christian origins. But I'd kind of like to hear more about this debauched Germanic Sodom and Gomorrah. Are there frisky girls dressed like barmaids? Rivers of beer, maybe? People fornicating out in the open at the Christmas markets? All while Krampus skips about merrily playing the pan flute. That actually sounds like... Uh, Pretty close to my idea of paradise. If that was really going on, I'd probably buy a plane ticket. Okay, so his second comment, I think, is the type of thing I really should find offensive. But it's just so outrageous and laughable that I actually find it entertaining. And he says, and here's the broken English. Wherever you say this shit is bullish and you can put in your ass. So in the first comment, he seemed to have a decent handle on the English language. The second comment, everything just devolves. Uh, was he shit-faced? Uh, was he so irate that he lost control of his fingers? Was he on a plane experiencing heavy turbulence? I don't know. And you guys know me, I'm very pro-LGBT rights, but nothing's going up my ass. <laughs> Don't make me go into the story of my first prostate exam a while back. It, it, it was traumatic. I do my best to guard against the rare errant finger, but only so much a goalie can do. This is totally going in the wrong direction. <laughs> Off the rails. I'm trying to make this guy look silly, not me. But, uh, and I mean, what does he mean? You know, he says it's all, I think he meant bullshit, but he says bullish. Uh... <laughs> Where, whatever you say this and say, save this, S-A-Y-V-T-H-I-S, shit is bullish. Um, so I think this is another example of one of the things that I'm just ideologically, diametrically opposed to. This idea that anything that you don't like, that offends your sensibilities, that offends your fragile worldview, is bullshit, is wrong no matter how plain or convincing the facts may be, objectively. Sorry Krampus doesn't fit in with whatever you were taught at Sunday school. Too bad, I like Krampus. And so now, and I can't believe I'm going to be talking about that recent school shooting in Florida again, uh, but I have a story involving Dinesh D'Souza. And that's what made me want to talk about this subject again. Those of you out there listening who are... Atheists, skeptics, non-believers, or whatever, you may very well already be familiar with uh, Dinesh D'Souza. You can go on YouTube and find plenty of videos of him debating the likes of the late, great Christopher Hitchens, Daniel Dennett, uh, I think Dawkins. 
and a host of other high-profile atheists. And I usually try to be at least somewhat fair to people, but I have to admit, Dinesh D'Souza, to me, he's one of the smarmiest pieces of crap to ever crawl out of the cracks of the earth. Did you hear all that alliteration? Not bad. Yeah, so he's this right-wing talking head, carries the banner for Christianity, which in and of themselves, those things might not necessarily be bad. I've watched atheist versus theist debates, and although I disagree with the theist, sometimes I'll say, oh, well, this person genuinely seems like a nice guy, the type of guy I'd like to hang out with and have a conversation with. But Dinesh D'Souza isn't one of those guys. Once again, he has to be one of the smarmiest, most smug, condescending individuals I have ever borne witness to in my life. And like a lot of these religious types that seem to be preaching at us from up on a moral pedestal, wouldn't you know it, he's been embroiled in scandal. I think he was caught cheating on his wife. There was also some kind of financial thing. I think he even did some time. But anyway, he recently weighed in on the aftermath of that Florida shooting. And wouldn't you know it, true the form, he was a smug son of a bitch. So I'm going to play this little clip from the Philip DeFranco show. If you're not aware of him, um, Philip DeFranco is one of the biggest YouTubers or most successful YouTubers out there. Um, covers daily news stories, etc. But here we go. So if you haven't seen, there has been a concerted effort since the shooting to discredit, attack, mock, and just plain lie about the survivors of this school shooting. And the first thing we'll hit on is the mocking in Dinesh D'Souza. In response to the decision in Florida, and specifically an article from The Hill that read, breaking Florida lawmakers reject bill to ban assault rifles days after school shooting, Dinesh tweeted, adults one, kids zero. Following that, in response to a picture of the survivors of this school shooting crying with the text, AP photo of school shooting survivors watching Florida lawmakers vote down a bill to ban assault weapons, Dinesh wrote, worse news since their parents told them to get summer Jobs. And I want to say this to Dinesh and anyone that supported those tweets, go fuck yourself in your garbage face, you stupid motherfucker. If you weren't already, you definitely are now a trash person and now just more people know about it. It is one thing to disagree with someone's opinions, their activism. It is a whole other thing to openly mock the survivors of a school shooting. Now, when I tweeted something to this extent, there were some people saying, oh, Phil's showing his liberal bias. In my eyes, this is not a partisan issue. While, while Dinesh is a conservative political commentator, a conservative filmmaker, I do not think he represents everyone that is right-leaning. In my eyes, you have people that are generally on the left, people that are generally on the right, and then the assholes. Here, Dinesh is an asshole. And so rightly so, we saw people from all parts of the political spectrum speaking out against Dinesh. This ranging from Mother Jones's editor-in-chief all the way to Ben Shapiro. Also, if I can just have a quick aside here, I kind of want to give a tip of the hat to Ben Shapiro and, and his website, Daily Wire. Well, you may enjoy him, or maybe you don't like him, you disagree with their politics, the, the stuff they put out. They recently announced that they are no longer going to show the faces of mass murderers. It's something we've done here on the show for a long time. It's something we have preached for a long time. So anytime anyone with an audience whatsoever adopts this, I am a fan. But back to the story, we also saw D'Souza even denounced by the Conservative Political Action Conference, CPAC. They, if you don't know, are an annual conservative event. He's reportedly been a featured speaker several times. We saw a user tweeting at CPAC writing, Hey, ACU conservative might want to cancel Dinesh Souza at CPAC right about now. Will you draw a line at one of your speakers openly mocking child survivors of Florida school shooting? And they responded with, Hey, Raphael, this is fake news. Dinesh D'Souza is not a speaker at CPAC 2018. You are seeing an archived speaker profile, and we are taking down his archived picture. His comments are indefensible. Now, as far as D'Souza, yesterday we 
Abbey saw him then add, genuine grief I can empathize with, but grief organized for the cameras, politically orchestrated grief strikes me as phony and inauthentic. Yeah, what bugs me about that is who the hell is Dinesh D'Souza to decide whose grief is genuine or not, especially when we're talking about kids who just experienced a traumatic event like a school shooting. While the media exploits the Parkland shooting, my heart goes out to the parents and family members who are grieving the loss of loved ones. Which I will say personally strikes me as phony. Like how can you tweet, my heart goes out to the parents and family members who are grieving the loss of loved ones when you're tweeting, oh adults one, kids zero. This is almost as bad when those stupid entitled kids had to get a job for the summer. And following all of this, this morning Dinesh tweeted, while it aimed at media manipulation, my tweet was insensitive to students who lost friends in a terrible tragedy. I'm truly sorry. So he's apologized, he's trying to make it about media manipulation, exploitation, Th that doesn't seem to match up with his previous statements, but okay, whatever. And to comment quickly on the idea that these these children, those survivors of this shooting are being exploited, I would argue that we need to say all or none. What I mean by that is if we have the victims and survivors of a, of a shooting, of, of any tragedy whatsoever, and they want to talk to the media or they want their story shared, we should allow it, same as we would allow President Trump during the State of the Union to provide many examples, many victims and their stories. Someone's daughter was killed by MS-13? Let's share that story, let's talk about it. If someone shoots up a school and you survive and you, you think that maybe something can be done so this doesn't happen to someone else, let's talk about it. Why are we picking and choosing when we can share stories? Why is it when an illegal immigrant or someone who came here legally went through the right processes or a refugee does something horrible, we can immediately talk about immigration and border security and, and it's not politicizing. But when it becomes a different situation, like how did a 19 year old legally get an AR-15 same day, then that's exploitation, manipulation when someone speaks out? And I say this, and I, and I always get a lot of international hate for this, I support the Second Amendment personally. And it's a massive issue, but I think at the very least we can talk about mental health, we can talk about access, we can talk about better background checks, we can talk about better points of sale. Why are we depriving a common sense conversation any oxygen? But all of that said, the mocking around this situation was nowhere near the worst thing about it. The conspiracy theories around the Parkland shoot range from, okay, that's kind okay, of- Okay, so then Philip DeFranco goes on to discuss, sadly, what's to be expected. Conspiracy theories that popped up right in the wake of that shooting. And in fact, one Florida shooting conspiracy theory video was number one among YouTube's trending videos until the site took it down. I mean, whether you're pro or anti-gun, to get back to Dinesh D'Souza's inflammatory tweets there, kids- Zero adults, one. Are you serious, man? Come on. You're talking about kids who survived a damn school shooting where 17 people were killed and who have a right to be angry and outraged. And I was glad to see that there were a number of high profile people on the right also condemning D'Souza's remarks. Uh, but he's not the only one. Who th There was a couple other politicians who made these really condescending comments, politicians on the right, regarding these kids who are trying to voice their opinion in the aftermath of this thing and, you know, who are calling out for change. A lot of them just, you know, writing, like D'Souza, writing them off as kids. And a lot of them are 17 years old, which means in a year or less, um, they're going to be legal adults capable of voting. And not to sound cheesy, but literally, these kids are the future. So mock them at your own peril. And I just think it's in bad form. It's like, don't you have any decency? You have these people, these young people who survived a traumatic event and who want to see an end to this sickening cycle of violence, of mass shootings. 
you might not agree with them about what the root causes are or whatever, but don't you have any compassion or empathy? It's like politicians see everything through such a politicized lens that they can't even, you know, just cut the bullshit and act like a decent, normal human being. Okay, anyway, so I'll move on to the next story. So Billy Graham finally passed away. I say finally because it seemed like he was just around forever. At the ripe old age of 99, uh, a couple of days ago. Yeah, it was February 21st. And speaking of compassion and empathy, this is probably one of those times where I should try to practice what I preach. When I first heard that Billy Graham passed away, uh, I was listening to the local news at work. I, re- I remember my initial response was uh, less than generous. It was probably, I was probably thinking something in my head like, oh, well, one less televangelist, you know. Um, and then I start to read up on his life and there are reasons to not like the guy, but I found some things about his life, a little inspirational or admirable, uh, specifically his attitude towards race and segregation. Yeah. So there's a section here on Wikipedia regarding his involvement in the civil rights movement says, during a 1953 rally in Chattanooga, Tennessee, Graham tore down the ropes that organizers had erected in order to segregate the audience into racial sections. In his memoirs, he recounted that he told two ushers to leave the barriers down, or, and here in quotes, or you can go on and have the revival without me. He warned a white audience, We have been proud and thought we were better than any other race, any other people. Ladies and gentlemen, we are going to stumble into hell because of our pride. In 1957, Graham's stance towards integration became more publicly shown when he allowed black ministers Thomas Kilgore and Gardner Taylor to serve as members of his New York Crusades Executive Committee and invited the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., whom he first met during the Montgomery bus boycott in 1955, to join him in the pulpit at his 16-week revival in New York City, where 2.3 million gathered at Madison Square Garden, Yankee Stadium, in Times Square to hear them. It goes on to detail how he formed a close friendship with Martin Luther King Jr. says he even posted bail for King to be released from jail uh, during the Birmingham campaign. But it does, in fairness, say, you know, their relationship was a little rocky at points. And sometimes Graham would get too close to people who held segregationist views for uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s liking. But still, given the time and everything, um, I thought his, his views on race and segregation were pretty commendable. But his views on other matters uh, were less so, to say the least. In 1970, Graham stated that feminism was an echo of our overall philosophy of permissiveness and that women did not want to be competitive juggernauts pitted against male chauvinists. He further stated that the role of wife, mother, and homemaker was the destiny of quote-unquote real womanhood, uh, according to the Judeo-Christian ethic. Graham was well known for his practice of not spending time alone with any woman other than his wife. This has become known as the Billy Graham rule. Billy's daughter, Bunny, recounts her father denying her and her sister's higher education, as reported in the Washington Post. It goes on to uh, quote her. After Ruth agreed to marry Billy, this was uh, his future wife at the time, he cited the Bible for claiming authority over her. 
saying, in quotes, then I'll do the leading and you do the following. Views on homosexuality, Graham opposed same-sex marriage in 2012. He took out full-page ads when a battle over a proposed constitutional amendment in North Carolina to ban same-sex marriage was put up for a vote. And it says he supported gay conversion therapy. Okay, then there's a little section here under controversies where it talks about a discussion of Jews with President Nixon. During the Watergate affair, there were suggestions that Graham had agreed with many of President Richard Nixon's anti-Semitic opinions, but he denied them and stressed his efforts to build bridges to the Jewish community. In 2002, the controversy was renewed when declassified Richard Nixon tapes confirmed remarks made by Graham to Nixon three decades earlier. Captured on the tapes, Graham agreed with Nixon that Jews control the American media, calling it a quote-unquote stranglehold. During a 1972 conversation with Nixon and suggesting that if Nixon was re-elected, they might be able to do something about it. Oh, then it says, when the tapes were made public, Graham apologized and said, Although I have no memory of the occasion, I deeply regret comments I apparently made in an Oval Office conversation with President Nixon some 30 years ago. They do not reflect my views, and I sincerely apologize for any offense caused by the remarks. According to Newsweek magazine, the shock of the revelation was magnified because of Graham's longtime support of Israel and his refusal to join in calls for conversion of the Jews. In 2009, more Nixon tapes were released in which Graham is heard in a 1973 conversation with Nixon referring to Jews and the quote-unquote synagogue of Satan. A spokesman for Graham said that Graham has never been an anti-Semite and that the comparison in accord with the context of the quotation in Book of Revelation, was directed specifically at those claiming to be Jews, but not holding to traditional Jewish views. And regarding his uh, support for Israel, I don't know how charitable I should necessarily be, because uh, I know that um, many have leveled the criticism at far-right Christian types who support Israel that, in a sense whether they think about it themselves consciously this way or not. According to their worldview, it's almost like the Jews in Israel are pawns. Um, that these are people who are kind of looking enthusiastically towards the end times. And to them, the Jews in Israel are just pieces on the chessboard. Or, you know, necessary parts or pawns in an unfolding eschatological drama. How Billy Graham actually thought of Jewish people and Jewish belief, uh, I don't know. Uh, um, I don't want to be as presumptuous as to try to read the mind of the dead. But we do have those revealing little glimpses from the Nixon tapes. But it does seem to me that evangelicals or fundamentalist Christians do have this kind of odd relationship with the Jews in Israel. Because on the one hand, like I said, I think they view them as a necessary part of unfolding events that will lead to the end times and the return of Christ. But do they actually have any type of real deep and abiding respect for the Jewish people and their beliefs? Um, well, it probably depends on the individual. I'm sure there, there probably are some evangelicals or Christian fundamentalists who strongly support Israel who do have a deep affection for the Jewish people, their traditions, and in a way view Judaism as they should, as a kind of sister or mother religion 
to Christianity. Because, um, of course, Christianity arose out of Judaism. Um, the Jesus movement was essentially a Jewish movement. Uh, and the Jesus movement is just a term used by biblical scholars for that time before Christians would have called or considered themselves Christians. Um, when we're still dealing what would with what would have been a deeply Jewish movement. Because Jesus, you know, let's leave mythicism aside for the moment, um, for the uh, sake of argument, if, if Jesus was a real historical figure, he would have been uh, essentially a, a Jewish rabbi or teacher um, with Jewish disciples preaching to Jewish followers or Jewish crowds. And the first quote-unquote Christians, the followers of Jesus on the heels of his death, who were spreading his message, would have been Jewish. And then, uh, you know, this Jewish movement spreads into the Greco-Roman world. Eventually, Gentiles are adopted into the movement. Jesus, or Yeshua, ends up becoming known as the Christ, you know, from the Greek Christos, the Anointed One. A um, few centuries go by, eventually you get Constantine and the rest of the story. So I would hope that decent Christians who know their history would have a real respect for Judaism and Jewish tradition and see it as where their cherished religion derives from. And in a sense, you know, Christianity today might not seem very Jewish, but in a sense, it's a, it's a Jewish religion. Um, probably a lot of good old boys who don't like hearing that, but it is. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, it's been Hellenized and Anglicized over the, <laughs> over the centuries, but you know, in its roots, it's a Jewish movement, a Jewish religion. So once again, I think it depends on the individual. There probably are some nasty or ignorant Christians who think that the Jews are wrong for not recognizing the Messiah, but maybe think they have to be necessary bedfellows. They're, you know, they have to be put up with. Uh, their presence has to be endured in order for uh, the end times to properly unfold. Um, and I'm sure there's a lot of Christians who aren't as knowledgeable about eschatological matters or uh, don't care as much about the logistics of the end times and just don't like Jewish people who are anti-Semitic. And yet, hopefully, once again, I'm sure there are others who have a deep respect for the Jewish people, their traditions, their beliefs. But anyway, so Billy Graham is uh, is gone. I guess... Um, He's been around so long, you know, my entire life and long before that, that uh, maybe I do feel a small pang of sadness that no matter what you think of him, this kind of American icon is dead and there's a kind of absence where, there, where this figure used to be. Um, maybe that's kind of sad in a way. Um, I certainly don't appreciate his backward views on the quote-unquote place of women um, I don't appreciate his views on uh, gay marriage and gay conversion therapy. Um, just generally speaking, as a non-believer, no matter if... He, I think he, he must have on some level really believed what he was preaching. Um, I, I'm sure he probably did. I don't think he was necessarily a shyster or a charlatan on par with other you know, televangelists we've seen come and go. 
Um, but I think no matter how much he believed in his faith, as a non-believer, at the end of the day, he was someone who was preaching things that I don't think are true. Um, he was seeking to spread and popularize a religion whose faith claims I think are empirically false. And so to me, I, I don't think it's a net loss that we no longer have this voice with such a wide audience spreading an ideology that I think is factually untrue. And I don't want to get into any Jordan Peterson-esque discussion about what is truth <laughs> and whether, you know, on certain levels, Christianity is true in a certain sense. Um, no, I mean, I, I highly doubt that someone walked on water 2,000 years ago. I highly doubt that anyone in the history of mankind has uh, literally risen from the dead short of uh, receiving CPR or something. <laughs> um, I don't believe that Jesus Christ was literally the son of some patriarchal sky god. Um, so yeah, I'm sure it's sad for his family. I mean, it's sad when you think that, at least in, the re in regards to the civil rights movement, he did some good things and now this guy is no longer around. Uh, that's kind of sad. But other than that, as harsh as it might sound, you know, it's otherwise not a big loss for me personally or for me, you know, looking at the grand scheme of things. Like I said, one less person trying to indoctrinate people into this man-made belief system, one less person telling women that they should uh, stay in the home and not pursue their dreams. But with that being said, I guess I'll call it a wrap. Uh, this has been The Week in Doubt. You guys know the drill. Uh, please like the Facebook page. Uh, you can follow the show on Twitter. You can check out the YouTube channel. Maybe you're doing that now. If you want to help the show out monetarily, you can go to patreon.com slash doubt and help the show out for as little as 99 cents a month. Quit anytime you want. Or you can use the PayPal widget at the bottom of the Podbean page. There's all that alliteration. All right, thanks, brothers and sisters. Until next time.